0: We could put the PowerPoint on, Ali. This is, uh, this is what I want to preach to you today. Edinburgh needs elders. Did you ever think you'd see such a thing? Edinburgh needs elders. Um, the Spectator magazine uh, this week has this startling article that 2067 will be the end of British Christianity. Damien Thompson writes this, It's often said that British church congregations are shrinking, but that doesn't come close to expressing the scale of the disaster now facing Christianity in this country. Every 10 years, the census spells out the situation in detail. Between 20, uh, 2001 and 2011, the number of Christians born in Britain fell by 5.3 million, about 10,000 a week. If that rate of decline continues, the mission of St. Augustine to the English, together with that of the Irish Saints to the Scots, will come to an end in 2067. Now, he sort of betrays his Roman Catholic thinking when he talks about the number of Christians being born dropping. But that aside, in in that article, he has some astonishing stats. Uh, Between 2012 and 2014... The proportions of Britons describing themselves as Church of England or Anglican fell from 21% to 17%. That's a loss of 1.7 million people in two years. Self-identification with the Church of Scotland has fallen off a cliff, he writes, from 36% of Scots in 2001 to 18% in 2013. And there's no doubt that we are seeing the end of church going as a sort of a normal expectation uh, for British citizens. I, against that sort of background, against that sort of backdrop, how will the gospel of Jesus Christ grow in its influence and gain ground in this post Christian, partly pagan, partly secular country and city? What strategy should we have to see the gospel advance? Well, Paul's letter to Titus gives a surprising answer. So please open uh, your Bibles to Titus chapter 1, and you'll find that on page 1,198 in the Red Church Bibles, page 1,198. And I'm going to read the whole of the chapter. Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint leaders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught so that he can encourage those by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said... Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, and by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. This is God's word. Now, keep that open. Now, to talk about elders and deacons seems to be something that um, isn't that exciting for your average Christian to think about. But it turns out to be absolutely vital, according to the Apostle Paul. And that's why my title is what it is today, Edinburgh Needs Elders. It turns out it is vital for the cause of Christ to have elders. And the reason for this is because elders secure gospel ministry in towns and cities. Elders secure gospel ministry in towns and cities. Look back at verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The churches in Crete were were having problems because of a lack of spiritual leadership. Things were crooked and needed straightening out. False teachers uh, were teaching what they should not, and they were harming churches and households. And without spiritual leadership, churches are susceptible to false teaching and false teachers. Drifting from the gospel and losing the gospel are serious dangers for churches. And so a vital step that the apostles had after they finished evangelizing a territory was to ensure that that, um, elders were appointed. And uh, Paul had to leave, and so he left Titus behind in Crete to finish the job. And I guess this letter functioned as a a letter of validation that he was doing this on the command of the apostle and the direction of the apostle as he went about the different towns and ensured that elders were appointed in each of them. The leaders are referred to in two different ways in our text. They're referred to as elders in verse 5, overseers verse 7. Elsewhere we talk about Uh, shepherds uh, those three terms mean exactly the same thing and churches uh, avoid this teaching of the importance of spiritual leadership at their peril Uh, we need to be absolutely crystal clear about its importance uh, for our church and for the sake of the city go around this city of Edinburgh and other towns in Scotland you will see Many empty church buildings, where once there were vibrant Christian congregations. Now, that in part might be this decline of church going as a sociological norm, but in in, in many buildings, it is because um, they appointed ministers who no longer believed the Bible, who no longer believed and preached the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how did that come about? Well, it came about because churches decided to elect to positions of leadership in their fellowship the wrong sort of elders. Elders who themselves weren't that clear about the place of the gospel and the place of the Bible. Uh, they were appointed. And then when the uh, the pastor stepped down, the minister stepped down, and they were involved in organizing uh, the speaker's committee to bring the new guy on, uh, they didn't really check or they didn't mind so much that the new minister didn't quite have those same convictions about the Bible being the fully inspired infallible word of God that should be the final authority in the congregation uh, they didn't mind that his message was a little offset from the gospel preaching that they had and he came in and preached and the sheep suffered and were scattered and uh, Many churches, I think, are empty today because of that process. Elders were appointed that didn't believe the truth. They appointed ministers who didn't preach the truth. And so, therefore, the gospel was lost. And the gospel can be lost within a generation. It can be lost within a generation. And so it's vital that we appoint godly elders who have a grip on the truth that's what paul is teaching here and i want us to consider these two aspects these two qualifications that he lays out in the text first of all elders must be godly is what it says in verses six to eight and i don't know whether you notice as we read there's a repeated word in there and the word is blameless look at verse six an elder must be blameless since an overseer is entrusted with god's work he must be verse seven blameless now what does it mean to be blameless It doesn't mean to be sinless. Uh, John Calvin's comment was this, This does not mean free from every fault, for no man could ever be found. But one marred with no disgrace that could diminish his authority and unblemished reputation. So this is not a requirement of perfection. It is a reasonable requirement about a person's reputation before others because the elder is uh, an overseer over God's work. Verse seven, he's entrusted with God's work. That language of entrusted, underneath that English phrase, is is is, a, is an, an idea that means steward. He's a steward of of God's household, the household being the church. Now, the steward is uh, is someone who's the most respected and trusted servant who the master gives authority to, to be a manager over his properties and his interests. And the truth is, is that in life, when we have something that's really precious to us, we're very careful about who we entrust it to, aren't we? If, if you uh, came into, uh, I don't know, if you suddenly received an inheritance of £100,000 and uh, you were seeking financial advice, you wouldn't go uh, to the man who just come out of prison for embezzlement and fraud, would you? Oh, I'd like you to uh, handle my money. No. Uh, If you have to go out of of an evening and uh, leave your young children behind, you don't entrust the task of babysitting to uh, someone who's an uncontrolled drug addict, do you? No, you don't. And what we've got here is that uh, people are being entrusted with God's family. And it doesn't get more precious than that. Uh, Paul, as he says farewell to the Ephesian elders, he describes the the role that they have to shepherd God's flock, which was bought with his own blood. It doesn't get more precious than that, to care for God's people, to care for his flock. And so it matters who your elders are and that they should be godly men, men who uh, who are blameless in their reputation before others. And it looks at different categories of their blameless reputation in their home. It's a simple principle, isn't it? To be entrusted with God's household. Then you should look at their leadership of their own household. It should be a positive thing to look at. It must be evident, this blamelessness in their marriage and in their family life. Verse 6, an elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife. In the original language, it's, it's three words. It literally says, one woman man. And I don't think that this means that a man must be married and have at least two children as we go into the children part to be an elder. Jesus was not married. The Apostle Paul was not married. And 1 Corinthians 7, he spends a whole chapter arguing about the value of singleness so you can give yourself to the work of the Lord more fully. But I think what he's talking about here is the sort of man who if if he is married is sexually faithful to his wife. The sort of man that other women feel safe around. He's a one-woman man. And this rules out men who engage in sexual activity of whatever kind outside of biblical marriage between a man and a woman. He's to be blameless in his sexual life. He's to be blameless in his family life. A man, it goes on to say, whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. This phrase, believe, does this mean a man can only be an elder if all his children are born again believers? Again, I don't think that's the the meaning here. Fathers cannot actually ensure that their children become genuine believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of simply giving birth and they are uh, a Christian. We know it involves an important work of God's Holy Spirit, as we heard at the start of the service, who makes someone born uh, new, born again from the inside out. And some of the best Christian parents have had the, experienced the great pain of seeing their children walk away from the faith that they taught them. But I think the word belief here could simply and more likely be translated faithful or dutiful. It is the management of his family that's being considered here. Are the children who are still living with him in his home, are they out of control? Are they pursuing a sort of debauched life of wild disobedience? Are they uh, displaying contempt? And uh, do they despise their father's leadership in the home? Well, if that is the case, then he is disqualified from leading God's household. Then Paul gives a list of five vices that, that bring reproach on a man's reputation. Five characteristics that would disqualify him because they would be blameworthy. Firstly, not overbearing. Someone who wants their own way all the time. You don't want someone like that. Not quick-tempered. Someone who often seems to get angry. You know, we've all met people like that. They don't know that they're angry, but everyone else does, and they tiptoe around them very carefully, fearing that they might... uh, suddenly get red-faced and start shouting. That's not good in an elder. We don't need that for elders. Not given to drunkenness. Um, you don't want a spiritual leader with a drink problem or someone who's, always, uh, who's, who's addicted to drugs. Not violent. Someone who doesn't control their aggression. Someone who treats others Roughly. As elders, at times you can get into some tense and difficult conversations and it doesn't help if you're worrying whether a fellow elder is going to start swinging with his fists. Not pursuing dishonest gain. Instead of modeling godly contentment, you don't want an elder or a pastor who's willing to bend the rules just to make a bit more cash, uh, to see the church as a way to, to wealth. An elder must be blameless and not like those negatives. But then Paul gives six positives, doesn't he? That you do want to see in a man's life before considering him to be an elder. He should be hospitable, verse 8. An open home. Someone who welcomes new people. Who, 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 uh, someone who sticks around after church to, to look out for new people. Who's loving and caring in that way. Someone who loves... What is good? Willing to put himself out, to do good for others, to be kind to others. Someone who's self controlled. A sensible person. Someone with common sense. Discreet. An upright person. Principled, fair, righteous in his dealings. It says holy. Someone whose life reflects the the holy character of God. A devout person who's committed to God and his words. Disciplined, it says. Someone who's in control of their desires and their appetites. Proverbs twenty five says this like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self control. An undisciplined man who lacks self control is easy prey for any sort of spiritual attack. So elders must be godly, because elders lead by example. I read that from first Peter. Uh, as we commission the elders. How do people learn um, how to live the Christian life? Well, they've got their Bibles, but in addition to their Bibles, they basically look to mentors. They, they, they look to see who the leaders are uh, as to be a reflection of what the Bible teaches. And, and that's why newspapers absolutely love it, don't they? When they see church ministers engaged in inappropriate sexual behavior or on the take... You know, doing dodgy financial deeds. Because the hypocrisy is all the more apparent. And it's amazing to me that even the the, the secular media expects godly behavior of ministers. So elders must be godly. And the other part of this is that elders must have a firm grip on God's truth. Verse 9. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Here is the chief task of an elder in a church he teaches God's word. And all elders are engaged in this task of teaching God's word. Some will be pulpit preachers, others simply doing this in one to one conversations or in small groups. But that's what the elder does. He teaches the word of God. And the elder has two voices in this text. You see, this is a voice that gathers and feeds God's flock. But there's another voice that scatters wolves away from the flock. And you need both of these voices. Now, we live in in an age of relativism, where we're comfortable just hearing lots of different opinions and opposing opinions. And basically saying, look, everybody's right. Everybody's right. People don't like hearing today that something is true and therefore other things are false. Instead, we love to facilitate discussions and dialogues and and affirm everybody's opinions. But actually, godly elders need to say this is the truth and this is error. This is good and healthy, and it'll help you to glorify God. This is this is dangerous and harmful and you should avoid it and actually we we need elders who are willing to do the tough thing of telling some people to stop talking now look at verse 13 they must be willing to rebuke people sharply ooh we don't like that do we it's not very British I say my good man would you stop teaching that Jesus isn't God if that's okay next week sometime no they must be rebuked sharply what you're doing is dangerous and wrong stop speaking And if you can't stop speaking stop coming this is the wrong church for you you are harming people stop it we need men who are willing to refute opponents so glad to have worked with the elders uh, who have just stepped away and excited about the new team that uh, we've set apart today for this church. Elders play a vital part in God's economy to secure gospel ministry in cities and towns, but they must be godly and they must have a firm grip on God's truth. And that's what Scotland needs. That's what Edinburgh needs. To be able to keep holding out the good news about Jesus Christ who came to save us and rescue us. Who's done it all that we could be right with God. To hold out this gospel freely and openly to to the, the many millions of lost people in this nation so that they can come to a true knowledge of God that will transform their lives and will transform our society. So please keep praying for the elders we prayed for them today but i want to say to members please make it a regular part of your prayer life to pray for the elders of this church as as i read a list of requirements like this i'm sure all the elders inside were going ah," feeling the crunch of it the squeeze of it we know the ways that we fall short. We know that we're not all that we would like to be. Would you pray for us? Pray that we would model godliness in our marriages, in our home, in our work, and in our life. Pray that we would hold firmly to the trustworthy message of the gospel. Pray that we'd be an encouragement to the church by teaching sound doctrine. Pray that we'd have the courage to refute those who who oppose the gospel so that Charlotte Chapel will stay on message. One of the remarkable things about this church is that for 204, 205 years, it stayed on message. Read what Christopher Anderson, the founding pastor, believed and what he preached. And by God's grace, that is what we believe and preach today. Now, that is incredibly rare. And it falls to us not to fumble it in our generation. And that's what the elders are committed to, to faithfully passing the gospel on to the next generation, to faithfully be, keep this as a church where the gospel is proclaimed to this city so that people can uh, find Jesus and be saved and be gathered to, with us and with, with other churches in this town that preach the gospel. But would you pray for us that it would be so? Let's pray now. father we thank you for your goodness and kindness to this church over now hundreds of years and father with a sense of real seriousness we uh, now begin with a new leadership team in our church of elders and deacons and father we look to you we are not secure in ourselves to stay the course father we seek your ongoing grace your ongoing power and equipping. That we would run the race before us. That we throw off all sin that hinders. That we would fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus. That we would have faithful elders. Engaging in the work of shepherding the flock. That you would equip our deacons as they serve. And enable uh, the elders and the church to function in a way that will serve unity. And be a blessing to your people. Well, oh, Father we start this new phase so aware of our need of you and we thank you for the promise that you gave to the Apostle Paul that your grace is sufficient and Father we depend upon that Lord we commit ourselves to you as a whole church help us to be a church on mission with the Lord Jesus lovingly reaching out to those who are lost. And we thank you that the blood of Christ, that once-for-all sacrifice, covers all our sin. Father, we thank you that we can go out depending upon this amazing salvation in the joy of knowing that you love us and you care for us, in the joy of knowing that you've lovingly set shepherds over us to watch over our souls. Thank you. In Christ's precious name, amen.